Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. If you've been following the presidential election in the mainstream media, and even in most of the non-mainstream media, it's easy to conclude that almost no sane and intelligent person could possibly support Donald Trump. Sure, there are plenty of conservatives who make a lesser of two evils case for Trump, but what you almost never hear is a positive case for him. Well, today I'm joined by my good friend Joe, an intelligent, well-read, and politically astute guy who I've known for decades. He's a Trump supporter who actually can make a positive case for Trump, and I asked him to come on the show today so he can do just that. Now, before we get started, I want to stress that I haven't invited Joe on the show to attack him or Donald Trump. From the very beginning, the politics guys have been based on open, honest, and respectful discussion of politics. Now, I've made no secret of my belief that Donald Trump would be a disaster as president. I have very strong feelings about this, which is why I think it's particularly important to listen to and not to just emotionally react to what Joe has to say. It's easy for me, or anyone for that matter, to say that they're willing to respectfully consider views with which they disagree, but the real test is if one can do that when that disagreement is so strong. Joe, welcome to the Politics Guys. Uh, Hello, Politics Guys. Well, really, Politics Guy, I guess. Yeah, today, definitely. You know, let's just jump right in with a really broad question. What is it about Donald Trump that you find appealing? All right, well... Now, I am a contrarian, so I have somewhat backed into my support for Trump. Uh, I think at the fundamental level, what I like, and I think a lot of people, and you will hear this constantly in, uh, in the circles that are Trump supporters, he fights. We're going to, we are, uh, uh, I respected George W. Bush, but I did not respect the Bush lied, people died, Bush, Chimpy McBush, Hitler, I mean, even Roe has finally admitted, well, that was probably a mistake on our part to not really respond to the lies of the left. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, John McCain or Mitt Romney and his great hair. I'll be above that. I am going to show graciousness and aplomb. Well, it doesn't get you very far when people are willing to slander you. So, Rather than starting off as our, our initial fighting position being the fetal position, now we have a Republican who's like, no, this is what I want to do. You're wrong. I am, you know, and, and I will agree. It's not even necessarily respectful. But then if you want respect, you have to give respect. And as far as I'm concerned, for the last mm, 16 years, the left, and that's pretty much the Democratic Party, have not been very respectful of my candidates. Why should they expect it from? Why should they now expect it from me? And apparently, this is how you win. So that started uh, my liking of Trump. If I might take a second again, because I'm kind of wordy, in my great chain of being, it was always Palin, Perry, Walker, Cruz, Rubio, Rand Paul, 
slash slash okay Gilmore Pataki and then Bush. I mean, yeah, I would have voted for Jim Gilmore or, or Pataki before Jeff. And I did not put Carly Fiorina or Trump into that into that because I couldn't figure out where to put them. Because I do agree with you, business is not politics. Okay, so uh, he definitely is a fighter, and I think nobody would dispute that. Let's look a little bit at some specific issue positions, the kind of things that he seems to be fighting for. For instance, one obviously one of the big issues that Donald Trump is focused on is the issue of trade. So what do you think about his position on trade? Is that a position that, that you in fact support? Yeah, I was looking through the uh, looking through the position paper saying that we're going to uh, repudiate TPP, at, which hasn't been ratified at least at the time on the on the platform, and renegotiate NAFTA. I guess Bush forty three uh, had the Doha round of talks uh, with with GATT trying to create a global free trade regime. And that has collapsed. And so now we are down to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or we'll do this with Europe, or we'll try, or we're doing regional. And I will grant you, I am much more of a free trader than Trump. But I guess what I'm kind of getting down to is right now, GATT is, we simply can't get the world to agree on a tariff scheme or a trade scheme. We're, then with TPP, first, it, first the president himself said, well, trust me on this. I won't reveal all the details, but it's good. And then the Republican leadership signed on with, uh, we're with the president. Uh, you don't have to read all the details of this. Trust us. It's good. Mm, no, sorry, no longer. <clears throat> Wrong answer. No, no, no foundation of trust has been laid at least in a significant portion of the um, uh, electorate's uh, 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 mind. So I'm going to go with, okay, we're going to scrap TPP. And, you know, if, if he can rewrite NAFTA, I'll say he's a heck of a negotiator. Um, I, I, I will admit that I am not so sure about the specifics. I will say I do like the larger strategy of saying mayhap we're going to have to deal on a state-by-state basis. I guess it comes down to regionalism is dead, globalism is dead. So, yeah, how about a Colombian free trade deal? How about a Canadian free trade deal? How about a Mexican free trade deal? Uh, that, may be the, that may be the best approach, you know, in a certain theoretical sense. Okay. Larger structures are better. All right. So, but go ahead. if you can't get them, or they're unemploying a lot of people, politically, they're not acceptable. Okay. All right. Um, you know, you mentioned Mexico, and of course, aside from trade, the other big Trump issue has been in the other Mexican import. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, do, do you agree in general with Donald Trump on? Uh, his immigration positions, which basically seems to be obviously, you know, uh, 
the illegal immigrants getting, you know, basically deporting all whatever 11 or 12 million illegal immigrants or the bad ones, at least. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, what, what, what do you think about his immigration? But are they are they feasible? Are they humane? Um, just in general, what's your what's your thoughts on that? You have to start off with what is the purpose of a of a nation? It is a distinct, at least geographic and political organization. If instead what we have is, as somebody once said of Italy, it's not so much a nation as a geographic expression, then you don't have a nation. If America is where you live and work, but it's not a polity, then, yeah, I think that at a level there has to be border enforcement. And I say when I back into Trump, we have heard incessantly from from uh, uh, Bush 43 on, we need immigration reform, and trust us, this time, after we give amnesty, we'll really enforce the border. Again, no foundation of trust has been laid. Now, again, for me personally, and other Trump supporters may disagree, I will grant you that the 10 to 13 million uh, uh, Undocumented Democrats in our country are probably hardworking and are not going to be easily dislodged. But the problem is that continual trust us. This time we're going to crack down on illegal immigration. You haven't since. You've had the law in place and you don't do it. So this whole idea of people of comprehensive immigration reform is not going to fly with much of the Republican base. Uh, it, you know, trust us is no longer there. So yeah, yeah, I hear that as a theme, definitely, that's really starting to emerge. Uh, that is, yes, that, well, it, the Republicans have only themselves to blame if they don't like Donald Trump. I mean, that is a recurrent theme amongst uh, even people who aren't particularly Trump supporters, that if Paul Ryan and John Boehner want to know why Donald Trump is leading in, in the Republican polls, all they need to do is look at what they didn't do. So, yeah, uh, again, comprehensive immigration reform is really just Republican for we're going to amnesty now 13 million people as far as the base is concerned. So the idea of building a wall using existing law, using E-Verify, trying to deport as many illegals as we can, yeah, strikes a chord. Will we succeed in getting rid of 13 million people? No, I don't think so, and I don't think and even Trump's plan doesn't say we're going to. But, I mean, there is, I mean, if, if a party, the, one of the issues, or one of the, besides fighting, I've mentioned it to you before, what you're seeing, I think, in the Republicans is, and, and before the economists got all, all crazy globalist, ignore any cultural issues, we support global warming, they once had a really great line in one of their editorials, which was Republicans are riven between Main Street and Wall Street Republicans. Sheldon Adelson, the Koch brothers, Goldman Sachs, all like open borders and globalism. That doesn't necessarily play well with mainstream Republicans, or rather with 
you know, with Main Street Republicans. I see this as a rebalancing. 41 on, or 43 on, what we have had is Sheldon Adelson tells the Republicans that this is a gross oversimplification. Listen, you can tell the Bubba's anything you want, just as long as you leave the border open. Who else? And the Republicans said, thanks for the money, we'll tell them that, and who else are they going to vote for? Well, apparently they'll vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> so, I mean, I see it as a rebalancing of that, you know, as, as the Republicans and the Wall Street Republicans say, who else are they going to vote for? Well, oh, heck, they'll vote for him? Maybe they'll vote for her the next time, whoever that her is. Now, what about his foreign policy, especially what a lot of people see as his troubling admiration for Vladimir Putin? Uh, well, well, see, and here's another issue. People like to talk about what Donald Trump says, but then they never like it. So we kind of put him up on this pedestal so we can fling garbage at him. Well, in context, let's talk about what is he said. Yeah, he says uh, Putin's a strong leader. And to tell you God's honest truth, he is. Uh, you can have a lot of dislike, disagreement, distrust, uh, disgust with, but I'll give you this. Vladimir Putin is a strong man, knows what he wants, and is trying to get it. As compared to the current policy of floundering around giving reset buttons and uh, we've worked out a deal in Syria. Uh, I thought that was a particularly good Syrian deal. It managed to end with an airstrike by Putin's Air Force on an aid convoy about two hours after the, after the ceasefire had been declared. I thought that was a stunning triumph of American diplomacy. Sure. Now, I mean, do you so think I more... Think it comes back to, yeah, I can admire Putin and still disagree with him. So more generally, and this is my characterization, it might be maybe it's a mischaracterization you can tell me, of of Trump's foreign policy is that we need to focus on, well, we need to do some uh, reconsideration and we need to focus on what are, what's kind of in our economic interest and we can't keep on uh, defending countries if, if they don't give us more in exchange for that. Now, that to me seems to be a reversal of what our sort of foreign policy role has been since really since World War II. And uh, would you say that's accurate? And if so, would you agree with that kind of reassessment of U.S. foreign policy? Okay, well, you know, political scientists and I, you know, I, you know the word neocon has been kind of taken to be the Jews. And so oftentimes in I think in Trump land, the word globalist has been taken on to be like un-American, worry about Brazil and how that affects my shares of Goldman Sachs more than my fellow Americans. But and so in political science, sure, you're sure about the global hegemon and, you know, hegemonic dominance and how, you know, being hegemon has some advantages. I guess in part it's a PR problem. The globalists within the uh, American uh, foreign policy and, and, and economic elites need to start making a case why, uh, yeah, in the short run this may not, but in the long run, you know, we are all richer because the world has had 
much more freeish trading since 1945. You need to hammer that home every day. And rather than acting as if, and these rubes, how can we fool them? How can we shuffle them off? How can we say we care about them, but really act as if we don't? So there is a, a, that's kind of the PR side of it. There's also the side of it that, you know, there was the book, The Weary Titan, which I didn't particularly agree with. And then was during, uh, I was during the, the late 80s when American declinism was all the rage. And it was, it was a lot of people read it was about Britain and from 1880 to about 1910. And everybody was like, look, that's America. Well, while someone say that the book turned, you know, that as, as a description of what America would be, it, you do kind of end up with, you know, there is still an element of truth in it. Uh, at some point, the benefit to the U.S. does have to outweigh the cost. And I'm not altogether sure that, I mean, and that's always been kind of the assumption of the uh, of of the globalist, internationalist, and I used the word you know liberal in that in that political science sense of liberal internationalism. What's well, always better if the world is. It might be better for the world, but it's not necessarily better for us. And so sooner or later, yeah, you do have to rebalance that that cost. But it's better for the world, and it's always been the assumption that we could afford it, and if it made the world better, it was better for us. But that's just an assumption. It's an axiom. Parallel lines do not meet. Well, yeah, that works in what Euclidean geometry, but it's not necessarily how the world works, or it's not necessarily the only way of viewing geometry. Uh, so, I mean, it finally comes up. If Germany thinks that Europe needs to be protected, Germany needs to meet its NATO commitment of 2% GNP. Right now, I think the Germans have three understrength divisions. They can't do much of anything. I think, I cannot remember which NATO nation actually meets its 2% uh, GNP towards defense requirements. So it comes on. If Europeans don't think Vladimir Putin's a threat, or at least a threat big enough that they'll arm themselves, I'm not going to worry about it either. Now, I might say in the long run, this isn't going to work well for either ourselves or the Europeans, but I don't see the point of spending a whole bunch of money to defend Europeans who are like, thanks, or sometimes not even thanks. So, I mean, yeah, in terms of defense policy, uh, I mean, I guess it kind of comes down to one of the GOP's two stalwarts, uh, John McCain and, as we call him, his little mini-me, uh, 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 Graham, apparently there is no country in the world that America should not be bombing. Let's go to Mali. Mm, I'm not sure we should be in Mali, and I'm kind of an interventionist. So I do think that somewhere along the way that there's going to have to be a reordering of priorities. And part of that priority is going to be, you know, are you spending your money to defend yourself? And if you're not, then what are we getting an economic return? Okay. Now, uh, how do you? How would you say that Donald Trump is different in a positive way from uh, previous Republican nominees like 
Mitt Romney, John McCain, even maybe George W. Bush. Now, you mentioned the fighter thing. Um, would you characterize those last three Republican nominees as fighters? And would you say, aside from that, is there, are there any other ways in which you would maybe see Donald Trump as an improvement over them? I believe that Donald Trump, okay. No, I, I think fighter is a positive is a positive thing. Right. I do not particularly, I mean, apparently Republicans have convinced themselves that if we say anything forceful, if we say Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or John Kerry are, we lose the votes of moderates and women. Now, apparently John Kerry or Al Gore or Barack Obama, or Hillary Clinton, can pretty well say anything about us, and it doesn't cost the votes of moderates and women. So, again, yeah, if, you're gonna, if your fighting position is a fetal one, uh, no, <laughs> you're not going to win. And it's, it seems as if, and it's to our portion of the Republican Party, that we're content to run people with grace, and poise, and a plum, and in the case of Romney, great hair. Uh, and, and nobody says that Mitt Romney was not a smart guy. Do I think he would have been a better president than Barack Obama? I sure do. Uh, was he a good man? Yes, he was. And yet, and let me just go back, John McCain, not exactly my cup of tea. Uh, I called him Mr. Cranky Pants, but I voted for him. John McCain was an insane POW. His mental state is really a concern for us, and he's an old fuddy-duddy. He can't even use email. Uh, Mitt Romney, did you know he murdered a woman? Hasn't paid taxes for 10 years and wants to take your tampons. Uh, if that's what you're going to get from your opponent and you're basically going to say nothing or say, oh, tut-tut, Ah, that's kind of uncalled for. Um, you're probably going to lose. Apparently, that's the, or you're just barely going to win. I mean, we should have stomped John Kerry flat. If there's more, if there is a more cartoonish, a more cartoonish person, well, maybe except for Hillary Clinton, than John Kerry, and to beat him barely, my, and again, Karl Rove says. Ah, uh, that was when, and actually that's Bush's fault. Staff officers propose, commanders adopt. Bush decided that I'm going to adopt this, oh, I, and, and, and I'm going to act as if you're my friend. Well, they're not really your friends and they don't like you. And inviting them to the White House and letting them write legislation and ignoring what they say about you is not going to help you in the long run. So I think of that as a positive. Uh, I think, as I said, he's re Trump is rebalancing that balance. I mean, anybody from my side who thinks that we're going to run the George Will, Bill Crystal, I mean, I'm perfectly willing to run George Will and Bill Crystal out of the movement. But their followers? No. Goldman Sachs or the Koch brothers? No. We'd be fools to do so. We need them. It's a coalition. This is more of a rebalancing. And it is, in that sense, a positive rebalancing. 
Main Street Republicans are saying, we are not going to trust you. We are not going to give you a blank check. You, this, is, this, is, this is our guy. So I, see, I do see that as positive. Now, are you at all concerned with Trump's lack of experience? I mean, it's a point I've made before, and certainly he has a lot of experience in the business world. But, of course, that's you know, very different uh, than the world of politics. Is, is this a legitimate issue, would you say? Is he 35 years old? Has he lived within the United States for 14 years? Is he a natural-born citizen? I know that you're saying somewhat different, but he is qualified to be president. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Experience. Yeah. I mean, okay, I don't know. I guess this is one of those Trump on a pedestal, let's throw some eggs. Or I'll turn it back on you. What is presidential experience? What president has had it for the last, say, 16 to 20 years? Uh, I mean, I'm going to set it back on you. What is experience? Well, okay. I guess I would say that maybe, obviously, there's, in a sense, it's almost an impossible job to prepare for, some would say, that being governor of a large state, like, for instance, Ronald Reagan, uh, George W. Bush is probably the closest you can get. But I guess more broadly, people refer to experience in the political system and doing deals is different in the political system when you're dealing with other elected officials and other heads of state as opposed to doing deals in the business community. And I see that argument, but he was a real estate developer in New York City. And I know you hear this from me, and I am a Trump supporter. He is a player. There is nothing more corrupt, cronyism, and in bed than New York City or New York generally development issues. That the libertarian in me says that's a terrible thing that it makes it hard to do good things because you have to take care of the unions and the politicians and you have to you know, grease the wheels in development and zoning boards. But there it is. He knows how politicians think. He knows what they want. He knows their pressure points. I think he has experience in dealing in, in, in that sense of the cut and thrust of making a political deal. Okay. Now, another issue that people often bring up with Donald Trump is temperament, with the argument being that Trump is too crass, too volatile, and too quick to pick fights and hold on to uh, petty grudges to be an effective president. Uh, How do you respond to that? Again, let's put Trump up on that pedestal. Would that be like uh, Hillary Clinton and Sid Vicious Blumenthal? I mean, if you're going to say, well, that disqualifies him, I mean, I will have to acknowledge some of that. But if that disqualifies Trump, that disqualifies the well, disqualifies Hillary. I think Bill's perfectly happy now as long as the money rolls in and he gets to fly on Epstein's plane. But, um, you know, the rest of the crew, I mean, name me a politician that does not bear a grudge. Now, the difference is, and I think that's what appeals to uh, his base is Trump is more open about it. Uh, I think John McCain did not like the Bushes or didn't like 40, 43 for beating him, and he spent a lot of time and enjoyed poking his thumb in Bush's eye and in the base's eye. 
Uh, Hillary Clinton, she has an enemies list. Uh, again, I mean, it's human nature, and the only reason we don't hear more about it is, well, McCain is well-liked as a maverick. And, of course, we're all for Hillary now that uh, Barack has been uh, elected. And if there's a more thin-skinned president than Barack Obama, I'll eat my hat. All right, well, I'll long I mean, so I guess it kind of comes down to, again, as compared to what? Now, well, kind of along the same lines, I guess you could say, certainly temperament type of thing. Uh, there, there was a lot of talk about racism and sexism, obviously, especially, you know, in, in light of uh, recent revelations at uh, tape from 2005, Access Hollywood. And people on both the left and the right have accused him of being racist and sexist. Do you think those claims have merit? The race and sexism card is overused. I'm sorry, you've maxed that card out. I was just reading a little article. Did you know John McCain is a serial sexual predator? Oh, that came out in uh, 2008. Uh, I guess we did not we did not wield it so much in that sense against uh, Romney, but we simply pointed out that Romney had binders full of women. He had a war on women. I mean, to put it in another context, every Republican candidate since 1948 has been compared to Hitler by his Democratic opponent. Uh, I don't know. Is there merit? I don't know. Once you scream it long enough, I don't think if that many people pay much attention to it. I mean, he says illegal immigrant. Yeah, most of them have the name Jorge or Jesus, but... I think people would be just as crabby if they were Sven or if they were Mustafa. Oh, and by the way, since having mentioned Mustafa and racism, Muslim is not a race. Syrian is not a race. There are polities or the religions. So thought we'd so, clear that one up too. Okay. So but I mean, like, sexism or racism. He's but, gone through wives, but most of them won't seem to be unhappy. All right. He's had 22,000 employees. I don't think I've ever heard one of them say, and then he told me, put ice on that. Well, I don't think, uh, you know, so, again, sexism, I don't see it. Well, what about like in reaction to if you if you I obviously know you're familiar with the the recent story that came. I mean, how do you react to something like that where pretty clear there are some things that aren't allegations. They are things that even the the candidate himself uh, admitted that he said. I mean, what what could have, what sort of reaction do you have to that sort yes, of thing? Okay, my only comment on that is, and this is what this may be the Trump party line. It's funny. Everyone worries about what Trump says. Nobody seems to worry about what Clinton did. You mean he spoke crassly? Well, Michael, if we are going to uh, if we are going to hold well, okay, if we are going to hold anybody who runs for office uh, guilty for anything that they say in a locker room situation, then we are. We are well and truly doomed, but we're not going to do that, are we? I mean, Clinton or Barack Obama or any of a number of other people may have spoken, but we're worried about what Trump said. I'm not. No, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm just going to throw it back on you. 
if you were to run for president now, and I had members of your Marine Corps uh, Reserve Unit, and, and we could and we could give you some some uh, uh, transcripts from from Paris Island all the way to Saudi Arabia and back again, would you be able to pass that test? I see what you're saying, and I think certainly I have said some things, especially as a very young guy before I think I was as enlightened as I am today, that would be <laughs> questionable, but well said. But I, I, I also don't know that I've ever seen said anything that I would feel is quite as what I would characterize as uh, misogynistic as what Donald Trump said. Is no. it okay to say as long as I have, as long as we have them by the short and curlies, their hearts and minds will follow? No, I, yeah, and I think getting into that, I see what you're saying, getting into that kind of what remarks are okay and what are not. What about this? The idea that um, if these kind of crude remarks. A lot of people do say them, but it's one thing to say them when, you know, cameras are rolling and that sort of thing. The idea that even if these remarks are meant jokingly and they're not actually racist or sexist. I mean, Donald Trump says a lot of things at rallies uh, that yeah. are that are very uh, they get people worked up. They get people excited. Let's say just for the moment, that they're not intended to be racist or sexist. They're intended to, to rouse people in some other way. What about the argument that those kind of remarks normalize that kind of crudity and vulgarity and they remove some of the stigma when people who are actually racist or sexist make similar remarks? I mean, is that a, is, do you think that's a reasonable argument? To, it's only sex, people. I was told that all through the Clinton years. It's only sex. Stop being so prudish. Now, I will give some of the right this. They'd be, they were upset with Clinton. They're upset with Trump. But for anybody on the left now say, wow, we're shocked at this. Well, funny, he was only talking about sex, and he's really only talking about it in a, in a as I understand it, a metaphorical sense. Excuse me? It's only sex. Are we supposed to be prudes, or are we supposed to be libertines? And the answer is, oh, we're supposed to be libertines when we're judging Anybody who's got that D after their name, but we expect you all to be very prudish as long as, you know, as long as they have an R after their name. And if I might add, let's go the other route. But I don't think anybody said Ted Cruz is likely to have said much like this. And I'd be, well, of course, it didn't come out during this campaign, so this is an easy bet to make. I need another hat if you could ever show where Mitt Romney said these things. Guess what? Instead of he's a sexual predator, we'd hear about how uh, Ted Cruz is some kind of uptight Christian theocrat. And, of course, we made fun of Mitt Romney and his sacred undergarments. There's no way a Republican, if you're good, well, you're an altar boy and you're a theocrat. And what does he really know? And He's got a stick up his butt. If you're not, well then you're a sexual predator. In short, there's no winning. And so the only answer is to say, I'm terribly sorry that I said that, and I hope you vote for me, and I'm going to go on with my campaign. Which is essentially what Donald Trump uh, well, did I'm, say. Well, only yeah. a bunch of knuckleheads on my side, oh, sorry, ostensibly on my side, are like, you should withdraw. Oh, well, that's an excellent plan. I've always wanted to be buried in a landslide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> 
I'm sure Sid Vicious and and Hillary Clinton and Homa Abedin all agree that he should withdraw. Well, yeah, I don't imagine they would have too much of a problem with that, certainly. Gary Johnson, assuming that he's actually heard of this and can remember it, he probably wanted to withdraw, too, so yeah. like he can get 2% of the vote. Yeah. Now, moving on to a different a different thing, you know, there's certainly a general feeling that Trump seems to bore quickly. He doesn't seem to be very interested in doing, I guess, what I would call the grunt work, like detailed policy reading, organization building, the sort of things that major party presidential candidates have really always done in the past. And so is this a legitimate concern in your view? And is you it mean like Rinaldus Magnus? Uh, he wants all his memos to be a page and a half or less. Or do you mean like the current president who wants a half page and then some check marks at the bottom where the president concurs or doesn't occur, wants more info? Uh, I mean, sure, you can have a president like Carter lugging all that stuff home, trying to be two or three levels down, getting lost in the weeds. I mean, and it's the standard. Um, he's, he's intellectually lazy. Yeah, I've heard that. And to be fair, you might be right about Trump. But it's like sexism, racism, or Hitler. Since I've heard it from Ronald Reagan to George Bush 43, to now Donald Trump, you know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Maybe it's, in fact, not getting bogged down in the weeds, but saying, my intent is to do this, this, and this. It is your job to accomplish it. Please get back to me by the 14th of next month where we are making progress. I mean, it's a vast world, and <clears throat> I'll give Gary Johnson Maybe, well, okay, I won't. You should know about Aleppo. <laughs> I, I don't, but I don't, hold it, I don't hold it against you. I guess because of, would you rather have someone who does have the 40,000-foot view, who's flying the plane in the correct direction, or would you rather have the navigator wonk who knows how much fuel we're consuming every second and who knows, though, the, the ohm-meter ohm readings of every system in the plane but really doesn't have a clue as to where the plane is going. Right. So you're saying, actually, that another way to look at this is this actually isn't a weakness. It's potentially a strength, in your view. You get down in the weeds of, I mean, as much as, as, much as I thought Iran Contra was a, I won't say, well, again, it's more like a farce. Uh, and Ali North is not one of my favorite guys. You know, we on the right, we can always form a circular firing squad faster than you can, you know, you can shake a stick. But um, at one level, Ollie was right. Yeah, I did this because that was my job. I was getting the president involved in this sort of stuff. Uh, he meets all these people. He's going to feel real sympathetic. We're going to try to do things that may or may not make good policy. So he did it for Ronald. But I'm, I'm sorry, but, but at one level, yeah, that's what the staff is there for. Uh, it's a huge federal bureaucracy, and I'll be honest, if Trump can build a wall, get some people deported, uh, even begin to renegotiate NAFTA, repudiate TPP, that'll be good enough for me. Uh, do I think he's going to halt regulation? Do I think he's going to do all the things that every presidential candidate promises they're going to do when they get in office? No. And anybody who's interested in seeing why that's not so i recommend you shell out 60 bucks for any one of tom uh, of uh, 
Friedman's books called U.S. Design, History of, be it destroyers, cruisers, battleships, and you will discover that secretaries of the Navy, and up to and including FDR's president, tried to get the U.S. Navy to do certain things. And at the end of the day, the Navy did pretty much what it wanted to do, irrespective of what the political leadership wanted sure. it to do. It's tough to so change it, bureaucracy. You can get a yeah. few things accomplished. Huzzah for you. Okay. Um, you know, one final question I have for you. I, I know we've talked for years about this. I know you're not what I would call enamored with the mainstream media. And so where would you suggest that politics guys listeners go to get uh I guess what you would probably call a less biased take or certainly a different perspective on who Donald Trump is and what he stands for. Uh, we're down to uh, one website that, I mean, that I go to. The universe is vast, and you know that was the most humbling experience for me when I started graduate school, when I realized I simply could not read all the books on even the limited subject area I was interested in. So... That having been said, hit Ace of Spades headquarters. Uh, Ace generally writes something good two or three times a week. And Ace was a, um, I won't say a never-Trumper, but Ace did not support Trump during primaries. But he will give you a, a, good, a, a, good, a good read. Uh, Instapundit.com. Now it's become a... Uh, uh, because apparently Glenn Reynolds uh, just cannot blend enough puppies together in energy drinks. Glenn Reynolds can no longer write for USA Today, write academically, teach at UT, uh, UT uh, Knoxville, and run one of the most successful blogs in, uh, in history. So it's, uh, it's a team blogging effort now. Uh, and Ed Driscoll is really kind of a never-trumper in disguise. And so Stephen Green. But you will find some nice articles from Sarah Hoyt. He's a linker, not a thinker. Uh, you'll find good articles there uh, from all around, from various perspectives, about, the, uh, about Trump and politics in general. And then read the comments. Comedy gold, Jerry. Comedy gold there. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. And I might add some very witty and insightful commentary from a somewhat contrarian person. Yeah, hi, yeah. How about that? All right. Well, I, I think I think those are some good recommendations. I have always recommended that people try to expand uh, beyond what they're comfortable with, and certainly I, I know that this uh, this interview is going to be something that a, a number of people are going to be a bit uncomfortable with. I expect to get some interesting uh, listener uh, comments and so forth about that, and I think if that's Travis a, writes in. Send them to me because. He is one of my favorite people. Oh, I'm sure Travis will be. Travis is a regular contributor, old friend of mine as well, to the Facebook page. And yeah, that's, uh, there have been some interesting discussions about that. Well, well, again, Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. You have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to this Politics Guys interview. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future guests, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news throughout the week, and where you can join in, too, is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. 
If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take just a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. And if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a dollar or two would really help. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com.